This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Well, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. I'm really excited about this episode because I have a true expert in the field of collector cars, specifically around how museums operate. So I'd like to welcome Mark Vargas. Mark, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great, Greg. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Yeah. And uh, we actually met at the Packard Museum at an event and you gave a really good presentation. Now, the title of this podcast, I believe I'm going to call it Our Car Museum's Dead, which is kind of, you know, uh, kind of like the apocalypse is coming. But I think it's an extremely important conversation and topic for people to be aware of. I go to car museums all the time. You can go to my YouTube channel. You can see the Claremont collection. You can see the Simeon collection. You can see, you know, everything. I mean, a lot of stuff. Uh, So I love going to these car museums, and I would love your perspective on where you think they're going in the future. Okay. So uh, this presentation actually is an ancillary to that. Uh, I have given presentations specifically on the future of auto museums, where I looked at demographics of audience and, and those kinds of things, who goes to museums, who doesn't go to museums, and why. And I think that's a very serious topic that auto museums as a whole need to really start addressing. Right. Um, right. And simply because we're car guys, we love our cars. That's the reason <laughs> we're behind all this, right? Yeah. Um, but in many cases, we do not have the, the mindset of looking at this from a true museum perspective, a professional museum perspective, which is a focus on the audience. Most people, uh, the biggest gap for any cultural heritage institution are the folks who don't go to museums. It is a huge uh, audience. It's probably, estimates are 75 to 80 percent of people don't go to any cultural heritage institutions, our museums being one of them. So how do you develop that audience? And in this presentation I gave last November at the wonderful joint conference of uh, the National Association of Auto Museums, which is our U.S. um, museum organization, and the World Forum for Motor Museums, which represents uh, 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 car museums from around the world. And what I was looking at is trying to get a broad picture of what is the financial status of auto museums, Uh, because that's a really important question, as we, we can't talk about going forward and talk about investing in the kinds of equipment or approaches for these audiences if we don't know where we're at. And so that's what this presentation was about, is is to give an overall umbrella as to the financial health of U.S. auto museums. And so the, uh, the big question I wanted to ask was, how do we compare? And here we're talking financially. And right. it's not meant to be, it was never intended to be, we're going to look at, you know, compare Museum X to Museum Y. Um, and there's obviously many issues about um, the activities that they do, uh, their audience work that they do. There's many, many approaches here. But mm-hmm. this was looking at the 10,000-foot umbrella of U.S. auto museums. And my data source was, as the cartoon says, the IRS, because it's all theirs. And it's true, tax season, it's coming up. And um, so where I got the information for for this presentation, and I 
try to explain this carefully for those who don't understand where numbers come from, and especially for our, our, our foreign uh, audience that was in the group, was that what I was talking about was um, the uh, museums that are 501c3s. That's your IRS tax status as a nonprofit. They're, there's a whole bunch of other kinds of 501c's. Museums are 501c3s. And uh, explaining that all of this information is public. So all the information I gathered for this presentation is absolutely public. There's no dark web kind of research right. done, no, <laughs> no uh, hidden emails I sent to people. And the data uh, is from 2019, uh, A, because the uh, IRS is usually several years behind in releasing this information, and then also it's pre-COVID. So what right. we're looking at is the pre-COVID world, and it'll be fascinating to track this over several years. This, we'll be able to see the actual impact that COVID had on auto museums to the dollar, basically. And one thing I forgot to do, I, I know you're an expert in the field, but give us just a, a quick little background on your automotive history uh, before you continue, if that's okay. Sure. Well, I spent uh, 35 years in mostly in academic libraries and special collections. Um, always been a car guy. Uh, uh, Austin Healey 3000 Mark IIs are uh, uh, the car I helped restore back in the day. Um, being in, in education, you never make the money to really build your own personal collection. So you sure. have to appreciate them from afar. But um, I worked uh, for six years at the Revs Institute in Naples, Florida, mm -hmm. as chief operating officer, retired from there in April 2022, and uh, became an independent consultant, and then also uh, working part-time as development director for America's Packard Museum. And uh, so when we actually met at that, that event yeah. at the Packard Museum, I was not yet an employee. So the, um, the, the car blood is there. And I always have a soft, uh, soft spot for British cars because Lord knows they need all the help they can get. But <laughs> that's true. <laughs> is there anything more beautiful than an XKE? That's um, right. Yeah. Um, so that that's where all this comes from. And uh, for those who <clears throat> the the folks watching who've never really paid any attention to this bureaucracy stuff. Uh, there's tons of information you can get on the Form 990, more than just straight financial things. And so as you learn to read these things and understand them, you really can do some data mining. And the right. whole point is that auto museums can compare themselves to a peer set or to an aspirational group. The information's out there. there right. There's, And so what's included in this presentation is data on 116 museums. Oh. These are all 501c3s. Again, no, if you're a private collection and you don't file a 501c3, that's not included. There are 162 of those uh, private auto museums um, that I found. I started with a master list that came from several different sources. Uh, and so these 162, you simply can't get information on. Uh, 35 were very, very small, and they basically do a, a short form for the IRS and say, we make less than 50,000 uh, bucks, and that's all they have to really say. Uh, there are five auto museums that are so big that they completely skew the data. It's mm. like trying to compare uh, um, um, you know, a major company with a really small one. You really can't, right? And so these right. are the outliers, and I did not include these. And then lots of auto museums, of course, include items on loan. 
uh, where we borrow from private collectors or from other museums, those are never included. Those items on loan are not included on your tax forms uh, right. because you don't own them. Makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I started with some of the basics, but two of the groups that make our museums run uh, board membership. Uh, boy, this is a stern looking group, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's like it's right out of Mad Men from the 50s and 60s. And the um, the um, the median number of members on a board was eight. Um, most professional guidelines recommend 10 to 14 people. So chances are most of our auto museum boards are a little bit smaller than they need to be or should be because you want to distribute the work. You talk about the giving and getting, but they range in size from one to 165 board members. Wow, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, and, and that is not a typo. I checked several, uh, several times and that is correct. Um, and we can go on about this forever. Everyone loves talking about boards of directors. <laughs> and then our volunteers, of course. And, you know, for many museums, we thrive because of our volunteers. And the median number was seven uh, at the museums, but they range from zero to 450. Wow. So I'm not ever trying to say what is the, you know, the, the correct thing to do, how many volunteers you should have. Uh, you know, there are guidelines for things that I'll, I'll bring up as we go, like board membership. But what's the right number of volunteers for your group? Who knows? Uh, you, that depends yeah. on your mission and your organization. So, of course, everyone likes talking about money and everyone wants to see, you know, let's let's see the dollar signs here. So what I've done is I look first at the median amount and then as a whole for all 116 museums, what's it look like? And the median is uh, half above, half below. Uh, that way, you that when we talk about averages, what we're really talking about usually is median. Think about median house prices and sure. things like yep. that. Now we, I so, don't want to go through. So yeah, basically, what we're trying to do with all this information is figure out um, the health of the current list of museums that you're compiling data for. And we're not correct. taking the highest, the biggest, and we're not taking the smallest, right? Nope, that is okay. correct. And, uh, and again, the idea is, and I'll, because uh, uh, of time, I'll move very quickly through this, but the idea is every museum should set up a peer group. And you can look at all sorts of things, you, you like we saw in the 990s. Who, you know, so who's our peers? Find five to 10 museums who look like you, right. and then start studying the finances, and you'll start seeing subtle differences as to where money's coming from, the cash flow and expenses and, and things like that. And then an aspirational group. So what do we want to look like in five years? You know, take somebody who's 25% bigger, usually based on revenue. And then you can start planning out what we need to do to get to the next level. So that's the whole point of this. Um, right. But the average, uh, our, our, um, <laughs> our museum world, um, brought in enough money in 2019 to buy four mclaren f1s yay that's a so nice it, car so what is that a recent market number like 20 million yes. each yes wow okay <laughs> it comes out to 89 million dollars so our 20 okay. our 116 museums brought in 89 million if you Ooh. throw in the four big guys by the way basically multiply everything uh multiply everything by two and a half uh, times because okay. that's and that's why they skew the numbers that's why you can't uh, you can't include them and that comes out to the median comes out to enough to buy two tesla x's 
or 255,000. So our median museum brought in $255,000. And that's and after is, all expenses? Yeah, this is just revenue. We'll come oh, back. Oh, just revenue. revenue. Yeah, okay, this gotcha. is just revenue. And so this is the pie chart of revenue. This is not including the uh, the 35 museums that made too little. Um, you know, the, um, the, they just fill out a short form and that's done. So, right. the, you know, most, most of us are making less than 255. Okay, yep. And uh, there are different types of foundations. I won't go into it here, but I want to look at private museums run by private foundations versus public, because uh, there are subtle differences, um, and I won't go into that here. Then a couple observations I made. You don't. I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan, so I put him in every time I get. Um, very few museums reported getting grants. There's a long story uh, there. Very few reported memberships, uh, large amounts of uh, from memberships. Uh, there's a whole story behind memberships you can go into. Um, and then just overall, there just wasn't a lot of revenue being generated from the other kinds of re uh, business income, gift shops, reproductions, fees, those kinds of things. I know one question I have, and I know my listeners will have, what are those four big museums that or five big huge museums don't tell me but if our if my listeners want to find out you can check it out in the description or listen to the we'll, we'll cover it at the end <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well of course you can always go to the 990s and find them uh, oh there you, you go <laughs> you can probably guess which ones they are uh, but again we don't want to mention names here yeah and then you know so how much did we spend um somebody asked me if this was a a picture I took of myself and I said no because my wife never lets me have that many 20s in my wallet <laughs> <laughs> and so we spent as a whole enough to cover this is lovely our auto museum spent enough to cover nine minutes of U.S. government spending wow I can't decide if that's worth laughing or crying about but it comes right. out to 66 million dollars wow, so we brought in minutes. 69 total we spent 66 million Wow. Okay. And the median amount that we spent will buy you five sets of Bugatti tires. Which are very, very expensive. Yes, they yeah. are. $202,000. So you can see we're bringing in a little bit more than we're actually spending uh, as a median. Right. Not a lot. That, was, was that 30, yeah. 40, I forgot that, $53,000, something like that? Uh, it comes. Uh, I forget the first number. Two twenty, two fifty-five. So about fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then <clears throat> again, a breakout a pie chart for expenses. And then by type, um, as you could guess, most of the expenses were salaries. Yep. And then buildings are part of the overhead, and buildings tend to be a, a real drain on a lot of organizations. A lot of us are in older buildings. And a lot of money goes there. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I thought since, uh, you know, the 80% of the expenses are employees, let's take a quick look at employees. Uh, how'd you like to have the guys from the office working for your auto museum? Uh, yeah. Pretty sad. <laughs> we had a business. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the median, uh, the, the IRS does not ask you if they're full-time or part-time. And so the median number employed was six. 
And the salaries only came out to a median of 176. So that's not much money. So that tells me most of these people are part-time employees. Okay. Yep. And then I said, all right, so how do we, we were looking at revenue of, of being, bringing people in. So how much are we spending on advertising by our museums? It should seem an obvious way to bring in uh, some warm bodies. And in fact, the median was zero. Auto museums uh. simply are not spending almost anything on advertising. So one of the yeah. questions is, how do you get people to know who you are? Right. Now, um, uh, my guess is this is not including the expenses for things like social media, um, but most museums don't, as far as I can tell, don't have a very strong social media um, platform or program to draw in new audiences. Right. They'll talk about what they're doing, but in terms of drawing in new audiences, uh, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on there. Yeah, so and I would say I, I was just going to interject here. I've, some of the examples I've seen that seem to be pretty good in drawing people in would be on social media, like, "Hey, come by. We're going to have a hoods up weekend," mm -hmm. or um, you know, different uh, cruisins or you know, cars and coffee, you know, or themed events, you know, concerts. I've seen at some of these car museums, um, you know, that does get activity on their social media, does bring people in, uh, stuff like that. Would yep. that be some examples of Absolutely. more successful? Okay. And the, the key thing I try pushing is telling folks, stop talking about your cars. Most people who come to museums have little or no clue about what you're talking about. Wow. If you go to a if you go to a natural history museum, how much do you really know about Tyrannosaurus Rex? Right. <laughs> or or the local wildlife that is on display. You go to a zoo, how much do you really know about giraffes? You're not people don't go to these places for um your con your content as a car. And this is one of the things I try getting people to realize you have to look at it from your visitor's perspective, not your perspective. Mm. So you have, for example, hoods up. How many people out there outside the car guys know anything about engines? Yeah, they couldn't, care less. They couldn't yeah. care less. They open the hood on their own car if they do, and they <laughs> see a huge sheet of plastic. So they don't know anything about engines. Is that going to attract non-car people? Right. So you always want to think about this in terms of the non-car people. What is going to attract them? There's tons of things you could talk about, you know, cars and coffee or hoods up or something, um, you know, design, you know, um, um, technology, um, right. you know, all this kind of stuff, but not necessarily about the cars. Um, I always tell museums, scratch out the word automobile and put in Beanie Baby or put in Tyrannosaurus Rex. Okay. Then the, all you're doing is changing the noun, but the yeah. principles stay the same. That's true. And yeah. and think about because about like I said, 75 to 80 percent of people are who never heard of you. How many times have we heard, boy, I've lived in this town my entire life. I didn't know you were there. Um, and so they have to have a reason to want to come. And it's usually it's usually not about the cars. It's about an experience. And this is a whole other thing we could talk about is what's the experience that you can give um, that is gonna keep bringing them back. 
zoos, by the way, have a secret weapon in all of this. Um, the cute animals? Have, <laughs> huh? The yes. cute animals? <laughs> well, even better, smell. Uh, they, you know, it, our most powerful sense is, a, is uh, our noses, olfactory, uh, the sense of smell. And there's that weird smell you get, ooh, when you first walk in, right. but right. everyone knows it and yeah. you, it's part of the whole thing. But um, so when I talk to uh, folks about advertising and kinds of things to promote, you, you want to hit your core groups, but that's not the, the biggest audience. We're missing the biggest audience. And that is folks who are not car people. You've got to start thinking in terms of how do you interest them? So that's really fascinating because most of the car museums I think of started as a personal person's collection, private collection, got large enough, you know, they wanted to share it with others. And even beyond when they pass away, they wanted it to be a standalone, continue on. And so, of course, this passion, they want to share their love of those cars, why they love those cars. And they're probably communicating, like you said, everything about the car. You know, yep. and so that's really fascinating that you brought that up because, I mean, what percent of museums today, this is just a broad stroke, but any idea what percent of percent of museums, automobile museums were founded by a person's private car collection? I would guess almost all of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, too many of them are still uh, the, the museum is just, you know, every car possible jammed in. Uh, right. And that just takes away from the experience. But, you know, it's the same, you know, we see this with collector car values, right? As mm -hmm. we see the classic cars slowly declining in value because that generation who collected them, the guys, the boomers who collected all the stuff, well, we're aging out. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's the same problem with uh, the Brass Era cars. Well, what's your emotional connection to Brass Era? Right. Uh, when was the last time you saw a Brass Era car uh, running around? And so it, it, it's making these connections that matter so much. And it's um, always coming back to looking at it from the audience's perspective. And there's so many ways you can cut this. It goes in many, many ways. So um, I was helping a museum that had a wonderful collection of British cars. And I asked them, who drove these things back in the day? I right. said, you're, talk you're talking about basically wealthy you know, right. educated whites, right? So how would underserved populations have any connection to these? Uh, how does anyone under the age of 70 have any connection to, <laughs> to Brass Era uh, or, you know, immediate post-war stuff? And that's what you have to do is you just have to rethink. We love our cars. We want to share them. We want you know, all this, but we have to rethink that presentation. Right. That uh, makes that's sense. The, that's the key thing. Um, just running through here. So how much did we actually net? Grand total. Um, hey. There we go. Isn't that beautiful? I know that that, that car, if we're, those are just listening, they just he just put up uh, Carol Shelby's Ferrari 410 Sports Spider that sold at Arm Sotheby's Monterey sale for $22 million. Yep. $22 million in $5. I can't remember why there was five at the end, but <laughs> yeah. $22 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just something about those curves. Uh, um, Ferrari just had it. And it was, you know, $22 million, as you just said. So our museum is netted overall $22 million. And the median was enough to buy this lovely Cadillac <laughs> that went up for sale this year 
uh, for $9,300. And so okay. that's why you have to look at the whole spectrum. So what this means is most of our museums are running on very thin edges, financial yeah. edges. So how do we adapt? You want to put in new exhibit space or or whatever. If you're making $10,000 a year, yeah, not much is going to happen there. Yeah, not a lot of new exhibits coming in. No. I love land yachts, by the way. The bigger, the better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so for 2019, of the 116 museums, 50 lost money. Okay, um, wow. And this is pre-COVID. And right. so I'll, I'm keeping a track of all this data, so we'll be able to watch over time and to see what happens. And so um, hopefully the whole idea here is to help people start a conversation. And, you know, you know, collectors don't want to talk money, but ultimately we have to. Um, one of the big things for museums, of course, is the rainy day fund. You have one. I have one. Um, you know, at home and every organization has one. And the rule of thumb is uh, you want minimum four months of cash reserves uh, for your museum. And the median amount that we uh, the museums have is 39000 and that's covering three months of, right. um, and that's not much of a rainy day fund. Uh, the usual recommendation will be 24 months. So basically covering two years of operating costs. Think about COVID. You know, how did all these places get, uh, they survive? Um, in many cases, they tap the rainy day funds. Sure, yep. And then, so how much are we all, when you look at the assets, the actual value of the cars, and the uh, and the buildings, how much is it all worth together? So this is throwing everything in the cars, the, yep. uh, the you know the capital tools that you have. Uh, if you toss in your cash reserves, things that you owe money on. What's this look like for our uh, industry? And the answer is, we're worth enough to buy three of the uh, four of the umlauts. Of course, there's only two of them in the world, but uh, you can magically uh, make two more appear. Because uh, these, of course, broke the world record uh, last summer. Yeah. So this is the yeah. So this is the Mercedes that aren't supposed to be sold for Mercedes Benz out of their museum. Uh, incredible. And I believe the hammer price was 142 million dollars for one yeah. car, tripled the second highest price for a car ever sold at yeah. auction, which yeah. is just insane. So yeah. Okay. So a total of 583 million dollars. So our total, you know, when you add up. And of course, it's all between you. I always say it's between you, the good Lord, and the IRS. How you work out your, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, the values of the cars and things like that. But uh, go just going off the data, that's how much we earn collectively. And then the median amount was enough to buy a uh, a nice Bugatti Veyron. So the average car museum, the median car museum, is worth two million dollars. Okay. Yep. So when you think about the buildings and everything else, you know, the other way to look at that is we are worth 133 AMC Pacers. <laughs> Let's not look at it that way. <laughs> hey, these are selling for 16,000 um, bucks. These are Dick Teague specials. Uh, and um, so the, yes, the median museum is worth 133 Pacers. And um, the, the values, the total uh, values are between minus 700,000 to 45 million. Wow. And in yep. 2019, four museums were insolvent. Does it mean they're going to completely go away? You can still recover and come back. Um, 
my guess is that number has increased because of COVID. Yeah, okay. And then where do we go from here? And there's places that museums can go look. Um, this is, uh, especially if you're trying to find donors um, or grant money, you really wanna make sure you have the highest ratings possible from these two organizations. These are the ratings of organizations for nonprofits. Right. And you can, um, you can you know get very high ratings here and then you can brag about that of course to your um to your donors uh, there are charity navigator has a key financial checklist i'm always shocked at how many boards of directors have no clue yeah. about the financial health of the museums um, and you don't need to be a i'm not an accountant i don't want to be an accountant um the um but there are uh, guidelines and checklists you, they can follow that will really help put them on a, a clear steady path right okay again we're car guys we want to have fun with the cars no you know we don't want to sit and do all the you know it's what we hire the accountants for but these are the kinds of things our boards need to be looking at uh one of which is uh what should the expect expectation be for board members for giving or getting uh the usual recommendation is ten thousand bucks a year um so, so a question for yeah just quick question for you based on all this information that we have i think i titled this podcast are car museums dying how would you at least right now in this moment of time prior to covid how would you answer that question are they dying are they doing okay treading water or are they doing great you know i would no, i would say overall um most are treading water Okay. Some are doing very well. I mean, they've got great boards. They're doing you know, very exciting things. Uh, they're financially healthy. Um, by the way, sheer size doesn't mean you're financially strong. Right. Um, and so, you know, just being the biggest guy in the block doesn't make you the financially the best. Um, but overall, we saw the number in 2019, half, basically half lost money. Right. Um, and how sustainable is that? And so that's what we're trying to look at is, you know, most of these car museums were passion projects, yeah. right? We had a collector, but that was his, his or her passion project. And now how do we continue that, uh, that legacy? Think how many family businesses last two generations? Three, Right. there aren't many, right? And organizations are the same way. It's very hard. I'm helping an organization right now trying to get past this this phase of they they see the clock ticking right they're all older gentlemen we yep. all know that uh time we're not mortal i mean we are mortal and how to then switch from a passion project to a sustainable museum and now i know easy. yeah i know we're getting a little tight on time but i wanted to ask you do you have and i i i did purposely i did not flip through your presentation all the way through to the end because i wanted this to be a conversation but do you have kind of like your top recommendations for you know a museum that can turn itself around like what are some best practices yeah it, it i personally i think it all comes down to the board you need, really okay uh, yeah i think it comes down to the board you need a board that is strong um does its job well does not micromanage if they're if they're getting involved in day-to-day activities wrong you, you don't do that Right. Uh, but you need to set the financial parameters. You need to set the financial goals. Um, uh, you know, the donor development, all that. That, that all comes out of the board, first and okay. foremost. Yeah. Uh, and then second, get a good marketing person. 
yeah. who understands uh, audience development. Those are the key things. Okay. All right. Again, looking at things from the audience's perspective, not from our perspective as car guys. Right. Right. Now that makes total sense. Now, is there uh, is there a museum you would say, and you could you can name it if you want, that is uh, best in class as far as uh, engagement outside of the automotive world? Um, I, no, uh, to be honest. Uh, and the reason is, well, some, I mean, step back. There are some car museums that, of course, here's a question. What's a car museum? Uh, right. And so we have transportation museums yeah. that often have other kinds of things going on that will attract different folks. Um, and so those folks tend to do more for non-car people. You have non-car stuff in the collection. There's other things going on. But overall, uh, where you really want to look are some of the top-end um, art museums or science museums. They're the ones who really understood that, you know, um, you know, how do you get the next generation interested in Monet? Right. Or, um, you know, uh, steam technology. They're the ones who understand uh, what it takes to get those audiences in. Uh, so that's where I would look for some examples there. And I would never mention an auto museum by name, but because no matter who you mention, you're going to get somebody angry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny because, uh, and I'll just mention this because it's not an automobile museum, but I just saw on, and by the time this airs, I will have already gone, I'm hoping, but the Vero, Vero Beach Museum of Art, uh, I just saw Ken Gross posted on Instagram that he helped source, I think it was 22 Art Deco cars from the 30s, unbelievable cars. Yeah. And so there you have, you know, these cars being shared with non-car people at an art museum. And I'm really hoping I can get in there prior to them opening, because I won't be there when they're opening, uh, and do a little video. So check it out on YouTube if you guys, uh, see if I went there. Hopefully I did. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, But it's so a great example. Would, yeah, looking basically outside the car museum world to find some great yeah. examples of this. Um, right. And I just see, uh, so you know, what can museums do going forward? Um, and that's where I uh, finished up with this presentation. Okay. Yep. The, you know, one of the, the things we, um, we sometimes forget, you know, we talk about passion, how yep. we love our cars and the passion for them. I'm a convertible guy. Uh, uh, when I owned convertibles, I would have the top down, no matter how hot, how cold. Yep. I drove a Mustang convertible in Milwaukee to be 20 below. That top would be down. Heaters would be on full blast. Sure. And yep. I you wearing a, a, a hat, I'm a convertible guy. But you know, um, we we became to love our cars because we experienced them. Yeah. We we knew what it felt like to to participate with them. But think if you go to a typical car museum, the first thing they tell you is don't touch. Yeah. How does someone experience when the first thing you do is you can't experience? And so. Um, uh, that's a that's a big one. Um, you know, how do you do that? And there's all sorts of tricks museums can do to, to improve that. But we basically got to get kids into the cars. We got to drive the cars. They got to know what it feels like. Because um, if they don't, they lose. They don't get what we had yeah. uh, and, and drove our passion for it. Yeah, it's interesting to say that because I have seen some car museums, they'll have demonstration day. So you, you can't necessarily drive it. Now, maybe they do give someone a ride 
and it's usually in a parking lot, you know, right. but it's these old cars, they fire them up and uh, people can see them. And that's one, that's why I love getting into like a Concours event at five in the morning, 530, because you can see these cars motor their way onto the show field. And uh, that's why I love uh, like the Cincinnati Concord Elegance. You know, these cars are driven up to get their awards. And so seeing a big yep. locomobile, you know, fired up and coming towards, uh, it's just, it's one of my favorite parts of a show. Right. And uh, by the way, I know some insurance guy is going to freak out when we tell people to give rides. Uh, <laughs> you have reliability issues. But, uh, but the key thing is, how do we get people to experience our passion? Again, yeah. non-car people. The car guys get it, but that's a small part of the overall audience. It's right. the non-car people. And that's what uh, um, um, I think we need to do. And that's why this whole, this presentation was called The Future of the Past is Collaboration. I really think, going back to your question of how are we doing, I think to make it going forward, because there's so many changes in the museum world. Yeah. Collaboration is absolutely essential. Um, look at your cell phone. How do most people interact with the world these days? Right. Yeah. And um, you know, you can find out anything you want to know about um, those Pacers or the uh, or the uh, Lunar Hearts uh, or any oh, other yeah. car, right? Right online. So that is not why they're going to the museum. They're going right. to experience something, and that's what we have to deliver. Well, I really appreciate your time today on the Collector Car Podcast. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? Uh, you can drop me an email. Um, uh, you can um, let me give you my uh, personal email. It'll probably be easiest for most folks. It's uh, Mark. <laughs> sorry, Mark <laughs> Vargas. Uh, all one word. Mark Vargas. Um, Twenty two oh five at gmail dot com. Oh, Gmail guy. I'm a Gmail guy. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, well, I, I mean, they've taken over the world, basically. <laughs> We're selling our souls. But uh, yeah, markvargas2205 at gmail.com. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Mark. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.